Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. I have a very special guest today. We've been waiting to do this interview for a while. So Melissa Boggs is here. Melissa, thank you for taking time out of your day. Happy Friday, Dave. And congratulations on your new gig. You have a thank brand you. new job. So the last time we talked, you were the Chief Scrum Master at the Scrum Alliance, and now you are... I am the Vice President of Business Agility at Sauce Labs. Okay. And what does that entail? So Sauce Labs is, a, a, this is a little bit of a shameless plug, but Sauce Labs <laughs> is testing automation in the cloud. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the things that was really neat about that for me was the idea that there's probably a lot of crossover between, you know, my existing community in the Agile world and the Sauce Labs community and their customers because Agile teams are always looking for more testing automation, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my job actually is not dissimilar from my job at Scrum Alliance, other than, you know, I obviously don't have CEO duties, <laughs> but, you know, very similar in looking to help the organization be more agile, um, not just do agile. And I've come to talk about it, like helping the organization find ways to remove friction. Okay. Um, you know, finding ways to work better together, find more flow. Um, and this is a decent sized company. So this company is coming up on 400 people. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, that's not a, it's not a simple task to find those ways. Uh, yeah. So definitely leaning a lot on the agile values and principles on a daily basis already. And I'm in my fifth week. So I'm curious as to how you would define business agility. I'm wondering if maybe you sort of just did that, but how would you explain it to somebody who was only familiar with Agile? So I'm glad you said at least that we're starting with a familiarity with Agile. So I actually did explain it to Sauce Labs because initially the role was posted as director of Agile. Oh, wow. And okay. we had a number of conversations about you know, they have roughly, say, 15 to 18 engineering teams. So their, you know, product engineering design department is not small. Yeah. But, and in this role originally resided there, like just there. And through some of our conversations, I kind of described to them what a lot of engineering teams encounter, which is, you know, you get certain way down your journey and then suddenly you're either angering marketing and sales <laughs> yeah or you are you know running into budgeting issues or you know all these ways in which like this machine is you know or this organism is working in engineering but everything that surrounds it is still kind of working in a more traditional manner Okay. And so when I started to describe that to them and I said, I, you know, you have an opportunity to see the bigger picture here and to see the system that your engineering teams exist in because they had already been like, this wasn't a new role. They had already been on their agile journey for a while. So, you know, all of the teams already run scrum or Kanban or some, you know, versions, there's right. some extreme programming around, like they're kind of a little ways down the journey. And so we began to have some really good conversations about what does it look like for 
sales to discover some more agility and alignment with engineering. You know, what does that mean for marketing? Um, I remember being in a company years ago, years and years ago, that the engineering team was pretty darn agile. Like we, we were in a really good groove. We were having um, customers on our sprint reviews. I mean, it was really great. But marketing was getting mad at us because they were so accustomed to accruing all of this value and doing a big marketing campaign about the release. Okay. And so we messed that all up for them because we were putting value out every two weeks. So by the time, you know, they were going to do some big campaign about a release, customers were like, yeah, that was like four months ago. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And so I wanted to help Sauce Labs potentially avoid that. Yeah. And, you know, start getting the entire business in a similar cadence. It doesn't mean they're going to behave in the same way, but they can be aligned and on a similar rhythm. So that as an organization, we are agile, not just, you know, we've got a handful of scrum teams. Well, that was a very long explanation. No, it's, it's actually, I'm really <laughs> glad that you said it because it, it made me think of it in a very different way that connects to something else. So usually when I ask people what business agility is, the response is always about outward facing stuff. Like our company has to be able to respond to the market quickly or new customer demand quickly, which is obviously true but they're trying to do agile or implement agile or be agile whatever however they're characterizing it with teams inside but they don't take the systemic approach of let's look at the whole organization and like for me that the smelliest petri dish for that is always digital agencies because i i talked to a bunch of them and their whole model is based around the old advertising agency model. And when you try to do Scrum or something like that there, they they can't. I mean, the whole sales cycle, everything is like opposed to it. And so it creates all this dissonance. And what you were saying about marketing and the other parts of the company, like to take an internal business agility approach is a really neat take on it. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm glad you said it because I hadn't... <laughs> I hadn't seen that connection before. <laughs> but if you can't do it inside, how are you going to do it outside? Right. And, and to your point, please don't get me wrong. I mean, all of this is in service to, you know, being able to, what I love to say is being able to listen closely and move quickly Yeah. in response to the market. But I guess to me, that's a given like that's, isn't that why we're all here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, you have to take, I have to take a certain perspective or approach to that, um, that we're doing that in concert with one another, um, not just in concert with each other in the organization, but in concert with the customer. And so you can't do that with just, you know, just getting it going, which is so yeah. commonly where it starts. And that's fine if that's where it starts. But it, if you think it's going to stop there, you're going to run into a brick wall pretty quickly. What I think is also so cool about it is, I mean, drawing on your you know work as a coach and your previous gig, when I'm talking to people about the job of Scrum Master, I always focus on or try to focus on the fact that you have to spend 
probably more time doing internal monitoring than you do. I mean, you have to watch everybody all the time and be constantly looking for stuff, but you have to spend a lot of time looking at yourself and figuring out what has to adjust in me to be able to serve these people better. And I think this is kind of a parallel to that. What has to change internally within the organization so that we can be better prepared to quickly respond to whatever comes up outside. I really like that analogy. That's kind of beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should just stop now. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, yeah. Um, all right. So I want to ask you a little bit about the, the work that you did at, at the Scrum Alliance. But what I'm really curious about is what the biggest learnings for you were. Like coming out of that, nobody would ever done that job before, as far as I know. You're like the test pilot of it. Um, what did you learn that really surprised you? You know, going back to what you just said, we're always having to sort of look at ourselves. And I think the biggest learnings through all of that experience were about me. Um, and, you know, I found myself in situations that I had never been in before, repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> I found myself um, having such a deep love for a group of people that I did not know I did not know you could have a deep love for an entire group of people, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and in that, like in the combination of those two things, um, I actually learned a lot about boundaries. Okay. And I say that because I'm by nature a very empathetic person and I want to be there for everyone. And I tend to, and this all sounds like humble bragging, but it's not necessarily a good thing. You know, I want to kind of take on the experiences of other people and make sure their experiences are okay. And I think that makes me a strong leader. It makes me an authentic and empathetic leader, but I had to learn boundaries. And there is a video out there of Brene Brown on Russell Brand's podcast. Okay. Where she talks about boundaries. And she uses the acronym BIG. What boundaries do I need to have in place in order to be in my own integrity and be generous toward you? And that sounds quite simple, right? Um, but it's I don't think simple. anything Brene Brown <laughs> says is simple. <laughs> right. It's always like it sounds really cool. And then you start to work on it. You're like, God damn, this is hard. Yes. I must have watched that video like dozens of times because I wasn't great at boundaries. Honestly, I really wasn't like, and I, I do think my empathy is a strength, but sometimes it can also be a cop-out. How is it a cop-out? So one of the things that she talks about in that video, there's some language in the video, but otherwise I really recommend it. So for those listening, I think anybody who's listening to Brene Brown is going to have to accept there's going to be. <laughs> yes. Well, and Russell Brand, let's be real. Um, but, you know, one of the things she talks about is do we believe that people are doing the best they can? Okay. And she has a very funny story about that. So definitely worth listening to. But ultimately, when we believe that people are doing the best they can, it may mean that we have to do something differently. Ooh. And so. That's where it is. Empathy can be a cop out if we're saying like, oh, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt or I am, 
you know, continuing to enable whatever behavior might be. Okay. And so, you know, I found this in many different situations where um, I was allowing myself to sort of be either a punching bag or a, like I was enabling people to do things, not even necessarily bad things, but things that kept them from learning themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So I'm not saying that like anyone had bad behavior, but just if I continue to sort of be that soft landing place, which I am wired to be privileged to be and wired to be, I might actually be preventing people from growing. Including yourself. Because I think when you said empathy was a cop out, part of what I was going to counter that with is like when, if, if you're somebody who's like that and you pick up that kind of stuff, you can't stop it. It's like, it, it comes in whether you want it to or not. And when people need, it's hard to, it's harder to not be there than it is to be there. But I think what can happen is you can forget to set a boundary or protect yourself, whatever. And then you get burned out to the point where not only are you not able to help yourself, you can't help them. And it becomes sort of the opposite of good. Yeah, definitely. It's the whole, like, put your oxygen mask on first. Yeah. But that's also a coaching sickness too, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, And so here's the funny thing though. Like once I did really start working on boundaries, like there was a point in my time in that role when like I set an intention to work on boundaries. Once I did that and people actually began to grow and flourish with that, then not only did I give myself permission to continue doing it, but dear God, did I become more confident in myself as a leader. So but you gave up a little ego too, because you realized they could do stuff without you. Yes. Oh, yeah. So you got and, confident by giving up ego. That's weird and yes. good. And I am super proud of the fact that they could do stuff without me. Like when I was, when I made the decision that it was time to leave, I had no doubt in my mind that the people of Scrum Alliance, and I'll specifically shout out the Scrub Masters, would carry on and carry on the culture because I didn't build it around myself. Yeah. You know? And the other thing that all of that did for me is it now has made me fiercely protective of the notion of empathetic leaders. And what And meaning, you know, there's still very much this belief that whether we realize it or not, it's a bit of an unconscious bias that, you know, a leader is stoic, masculine by nature. Um, George Patton. (laughs) Yes. And I'm sort of on this mission now to, you know, prove how powerful essentially agile leadership is. Because when we talk about empathetic leaders, and we start to describe the qualities, it dovetails really nicely with what we talk about with agile leadership. And so I'm sort of on this mission now. You'll notice how I turn this podcast to talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, 
sort of get the message out there that like, you know, agile leaders, empathetic leaders are powerful in their own right. And the way that we get that message out there is by telling those stories and by encouraging those leaders to tell the stories. Yeah. Because there's a ton of leaders out there. I think about this all the time. I think about young Melissa. I won't say how many years ago I would consider myself young, but young (laughs) Melissa, knowing how just my nature was. Yeah. And if it were not for a number of leaders in my past along the way, like 10, 15 years ago, I'm not sure that I ever would have envisioned myself as a leader. Okay. Because at the time, especially, but even still, this vision that we hold up of a leader did not match me, did not match who I knew that I was inside. And I was just really lucky that along the way, I had a manager, I had peers that said, no, like you absolutely are a leader and you don't have to be a jerk face to be a leader. (laughs) Did they change your definition of leadership or did they, did they see something in you that you didn't see? I think it's both. Like, I don't, I don't know that someone can become a leader if they don't see themselves as a leader. And I think a step toward that is like seeing yourself in other people. Right. Okay. Um, It's funny. Like we talk about representation matters and I think that's true of, you know, race, gender, all of those things, but also just true of like your nature, (laughs) you know? And so seeing yourself in other people. Okay. Um, kind of allows you to believe that it's possible. And so I think though of how many young leaders, whether young in age or just young in career, are out there that were like me. And we're like, oh, I'm always gonna be the one that's sort of in the background. I'm always gonna be the one, you know, yeah. who's sort of everyone's therapist. And they don't see themselves because they don't fit what mold. It's still but, very prevalent in the world. Okay, so I want to ask you a question about this because to me, the person in the background that is behind the people that are sort of the front, you know, the the singer of the, I, mean, I know you were a singer, but like the Mick Jagger is up in front of the stage, right? And he's only good with Keith. Like if Keith's not back there doing his thing, Mick's like, you just walk funny. So there's got to be the people behind <laughs> them that are, creating it's it's like they build the stage right and i think that that is leadership too but it's leadership without the spotlight i completely agree but what if you didn't have to be in either box like what if when the situation if you could go back and forth depending right. on what, what if you when when the situation commanded that you were able to step out in the spotlight and lead people your way and not feel like you needed to fit into some sort of mold of an executive. Um, or a PMP then, or a scrum master. Right. You could do exactly. either one. Um, and then other times, you know, the situation lends to being that person, you know, being the key. Like, yeah, I, I think what I, 
battle with is the notion that you have to be one or the other. Are you talking about agility at a personal leadership level, which is another parallel to the business agility thing? Oh, indeed. We're just making connection. I must have had too much <laughs> coffee, maybe. I don't know. But I mean, but do you have your you want the ability to be at ease in either space and the ability to see what is needed in any moment and respond accordingly, right? I think so. Yeah. Wow. And w without having society dictate yeah. which you are. Oh, well, you know, you're, you're an empathetic, quiet person, introvert. right? So <laughs> you like check all the boxes. Yes. <laughs> so therefore, you know, this is the type of person, you know, this is the type of role that you must be in. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you're a large, somewhat complex organization in the finance industry. I'm making this up. Right. So you must, you know, follow traditional methods. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> um, now, it doesn't mean that, you know, there isn't additional work required if you're going to break out of the mold. But I honestly think that has to do with society right now. Like, you have to do extra labor to prove that you can fit in that box. To prove and to who? Oh, ouch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, well, using, okay, using the financial services organization. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of skepticism. Right. Right. Like I think of, there's a lot of banks in Canada that are on this agile role right now. Okay. And I've seen the tide turn in how people are viewing them because I think in the beginning it was like, oh yeah, they're trying this fad. And it's never going to work. Yeah. But, but I think over the years, because they've persisted, that they're no longer having to combat like the skepticism. They're just doing the work. Um, and I think that could be true of an individual. I feel like I with the think of one. I feel like with the banks, it's sort of like the water dripping against the rock. Like it just takes so long to wear away the rock because the banks built so much structure to protect against stuff like Agile. It's not like yeah. you can just go in and flip them. It takes a long time. Yeah. But that thing that you said at the end, sorry, I kind of stepped on it. Can you say that again? I was kind of being funny. I said, not that I know one. Oh. <laughs> that, <laughs> that it's continuing to push against that societal well, understanding. But this is something that, you couldn't actually, I mean, I was looking at your you know, profile before we did the interview and, and noticing all the certifications. And I was going to ask you about the MBA and stuff like that, because you have, a, we have similar backgrounds there, but you have mm -hmm. more certifications than me. But I don't think that you could chart a path to get to the state that you're talking about. It's like you kind of stumble into it because you're wired a certain way and you get put through certain situations and you realize that all this stuff that you thought was maybe what was holding you back is actually a strength and you figure out how to use it. But could you, I mean, would you be able to tell somebody else how to do that? Oh gosh, no. If you had told me, 
If you had told me 15, okay, let me think. Where was I 15 years ago? I think I was in sales 15 years ago. If you had told me the journey that was ahead of me, there's no way. Like, like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I just wouldn't have believed it. Like I, I genuinely wouldn't have, you know, I have been very, very fortunate to have some super unique experiences. So you're yeah. absolutely right. Like, I don't think you can plan it, but the best careers are unplanned. <laughs> so how scary is it? And it is scary an impediment for you, like taking that job with the Scrum Alliance, the new gigs. I mean, switching to this new gig. I would, to me, both of those things would be pretty anxiety-producing. I'm wondering if that for you is a sign that you need to go down this hallway because it's so scary, or a sign that you're like, ah. Eh. Hmm. I would say that was definitely true of Scrum Alliance. Okay. Um. I was terrified <laughs> and this is what people need to hear. So I talked about earlier about like telling our stories, right? Yeah. I think it is so often that people look at like CEOs and even the, I don't know, the big name people like Daniel Pink. Yeah. Those people get scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And you will never know it. Like I remember. People um, forget about that. Yes. I don't think Keith Richards gets scared. Probably not, but <laughs> I'm not sure Keith Richards. He may not have any self-awareness left. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, I have a very vivid memory. I've told this story before, but of, so when I interviewed for Scrum Alliance, I flew to Miami. I stayed in the hotel where the board was meeting and they were having interviews. And so I'm in my hotel room getting ready to go down to the conference room and have a big presentation and a big interview. And I have a very vivid memory of looking out the window and literally doing a Superman stance because I heard on Grey's Anatomy that that actually tells oh, you the body. Amy Cuddy thing. Yeah. Yep. And so I did that and I listened to a panic at the disco song called okay. high hopes. And you know, just stood there for like the entirety of the song. And I was terrified. And so, yes, I think in that case, at the time that was telling me that like, follow it, like follow that fear. Yeah. And I'm super glad I did. Um, I will say coming to sauce labs was not nearly as scary. Okay. Um, even though you created an entirely new job in an organization that didn't totally understand necessarily what you were after until you started interviewing with them. Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I wasn't nearly as scary because frankly, I feel like I had all the conversations that I needed to have. Okay. You knew that. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't going to dip it, you know, walk yeah. into the water without dipping a toe into it. So I was very grateful at their transparency and their willingness to have those conversations so that yeah. when I started, I was like, Oh, we're going to be, we're going to be great. Gonna be yeah. Um, but to your point, like leaving Scrum Alliance was a little scarier than actually going to. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll be very vulnerable with you for a moment, Dave. I was unsure how our community was going to receive me on the other side of it. 
and they did not let me down whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I saw nothing but supportive messages. Were you worried coming into it, how they would receive you or were you pretty okay there? Um, meaning like when I started my job, yeah, when you took that job, I was, um, and I knew it was going to be tough, but I don't know if I knew the extent, which was probably a blessing. Okay. Um, was I nervous about how I would be received by the community? No, because I, I knew that we all were sort of in the same place. I think I was, wasn't nervous because I was one of them. Yeah. And I knew that we were all looking for the Scrum Alliance to have someone who was one of us. Yeah. Um, who could help build that bridge. Like the thing I most looked forward to or thought I did was sort of building that bridge between the community and the staff. Now, what I didn't expect was to love the staff so much and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, do that work uh, as deeply. But um, no, I think I was, I was pretty confident that I represented a new Day. chapter. Yeah. 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 So I, it's interesting, like thinking about what you were saying about leadership before, I feel like there are the people that walk into the room and say like, I'm a leader. And then there's the people that are like, oh, crap, somebody's got to do it. All right. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> like, you don't, it's not something you're chasing or craving. It's just like, somebody's got to go. All right, fine. And, there are people that take on the role because they feel like this is a problem that I can help with. And it's not about, I want to be a leader. It's like, this needs to get fixed. I'll, I'll do it. Um, so I, to like, to me, that's leadership too. It's just not maybe that George C. Scott as George Patton leader. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Cool. This is, this is, I want to switch gears. Can we change topics for a minute? We can. All right. I want to talk about the pandemic. (gasps) I want to, I was sharing before we started recording that, um, you know, it's, it's awesome that we're coming to the, what appears to be a light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic. It's the middle of March as we're recording this and it seems like it's possible that by the end of the summer, people will all be vaccinated and we'll be able to hang out and do stuff like we used to. But there's a part of me that is filling with anxiety about leaving my apartment. (laughs) 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 Having to go, I mean, I miss that stuff, but I am very, I'm like a little hermit crab. Like I'm very at ease in my comfortable little world teaching in my apartment and only going outside to go running and, and very little interaction, like in-person interaction with other people. And I'm just wondering, like, one, how have you coped with being, you know, kind of housebound? And two, how are you feeling about the end of it? So I, as mentioned previously, I'm a bit of an introvert and I have not hated working from home. I actually have a bit of a history. There was an organization I worked for several years ago where I worked from home for two and a half years. 
And so, you know, I'm very accustomed to it. I knew this, like I knew I'm more used to this than most people are. Which is a big deal um, because when you make that switch to learn how to work from home, it's really hard in the beginning. But once you develop that muscle, it's hard to remember why people have a hard time with it, I think. Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, so in terms of coping, like I've coped pretty well. Now, one thing that introverts didn't plan on, I will just say this, especially if you have a family and I have a loving husband and two lovely children. Who are they are, introverts also? No. Oh, dear. <laughs> Poor who you. Are, I have, a, I have a teenager and I have a preteen. Okay. And um, one of the things that we introverts did not plan on is that they don't go anywhere either. <laughs> so, But they must be fed. <laughs> they must be fed. You know, you have to spend time with them, like the Tamagotchis back in yeah. you know, the 90s. Um, and so I, I joke. I do appreciate and relish some of that, you know, that time when I've gotten to spend with them because my job for the last several years has involved quite a bit of travel. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. But there were definitely days where I hid out in my home office a little bit longer than my last Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're three introverts and we're in 600 square feet and two cats. So, <laughs> but it's totally, I mean, like we've had no trouble at all. I don't think I, everybody's got those days when you're like, I'm freaking losing it, man. Like I probably have one of those a week. But on the whole, I mean, going from being gone 75% of the time to being with my wife and my daughter every day, like that's, it's amazing. I mean, it's terrible that it took the circumstances that it took to get there. But um, do, do you think that you're going to do things differently when it's over? Like, are you going to go back out on the road or are you going to stay working from home? So it's funny that you ask because I was thinking the other day about how Soon in the pandemic, we talked about this new normal. Like, I think back in like May of last year, everyone was like, you know, when this is all over, we're going to behave, right? <laughs> behave differently. You yeah. know, we're not going to go back to the same pace. Like, I think people pretty quickly realized that, man, like we were killing ourselves. Like we were the travel and the long work hours and the commutes. Yeah, I was lucky that like Scrum Alliance was seven minutes away, but most people, you know, were spending these long times in the car. And, or on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Or in the plane. So I absolutely believe that things will look different, but only if we are intentional about it. I think it will be very easy for people to go back to the way that things used to be if we don't keep talking about it. Yeah. I, me, I I worry about that. Yeah. For me, it was a very interesting thing because um, Sauce Labs is actually based in San Francisco and I live in Denver. And so from the get-go, this was an agreement that I was going to be working remotely. And when we are back in the office, I will occasionally travel to our different offices because we have, we have several all over the world. Okay. But it's not going to be like, you know, every month I have to be in five different places. Yeah. And so what I didn't realize is that the idea of going back to the office was sort of hanging over my head. Even though I was dying to see all yeah. the scrum allies, like the idea of being responsible for everyone <laughs> in a, <laughs> in a building 
after a pandemic is a bit scary. And so it was like an unexpected relief that I was like, oh, now I just work here in my lovely office that I have decorated and made my own. And so I guess that tells you something about how I feel about, you know, going back to normal. Yeah. I think we just need to keep having the conversations and be really like aware and intentional about what is right for us individually, for our families and for organizations. Um, well, that, I think that's one of the most interesting things is that it, whether they wanted to learn it or not, it's taught organizations. Yeah. People can actually work from home and it's not going to like destroy the planet. Like we right. can do that now. Um, yeah, so I remember. There's not an excuse it, anymore for not having it. Right. I was on a, or I moderated a panel in the fall um, about remote work. And oh gosh, I want to say it was United Healthcare. Uh, what was one of the, you know, representative was one of the panelists. And I was so impressed at the time about their like willingness for remote work because they're a humongous company. Yeah. And she was speaking so energetically and excitedly about how well they were doing with remote work. And I just remember being really struck by that at the time because such a you know huge organization seeing this as a positive. I mean, yeah. she was talking about how, you know, she felt like people were healthier and happier working from home. Yeah. And it could easily, society would say that they would, be, you know, behave or react differently <laughs> and you know they didn't so yeah well, I, I think, think there's a lot of people that have really struggled with it but for the people i mean there's also a lot of us who have thrived by being at home yeah i mean it's all about balance right yeah like and interestingly we're gonna have to build some muscles back up because i will say you know there have been times where cases were we're down more than other times. And so, you know, we've gone to the grocery store and things like that. And I get tired more easily, like physically. <laughs> yes. I get Your step tired. counts too low. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, as an introvert, like I, my energy is drained by other people. And I think, and that sounds horrible. That's not a bad No, thing. I did. <laughs> so have, have, I don't know. I'm going to share this story really quick. I'm going to talk about Chris Lee for a second. So Chris and I both tell this story in class. When we go to conferences, we'll hang out and like, I'll go to a bar or whatever after the day at the conference. And, and I basically want to sit there with like one or two people. Chris, I have watched Chris get up and walk from table to table to table. He's like an energy vampire. And he just sucks it all up. And people like you and me are sitting there when he's done, like, uh, get me like I need like a bag of fluids or something to bring me back afterwards because that's some people get charged by that. Others of us, it's very taxing. It's so awesome, but know. it's taxing. Yeah. Now I know to find you, Dave, and yes. we can find <laughs> a little tiny table. <laughs> so one of my favorite conference moments, I was at one of the one of the scrum gatherings, and I and I walked up and boss. Vody was sitting there and he's like, why don't you sit with us? And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm tapped out. I, I got to just be by myself. He's like, no one here is talking. We're all sitting here by ourselves. And it was just like 10 people. No one was interacting. I was like, oh, safe space. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I have a dear friend 
uh, I'm going to name him, Erkan Kadir, who's okay. one of the CECs that is probably more introverted than me. And I have so much respect for him because when we are at scrum gatherings, he will flat out say like, oh no, I'm going to be in bed at 7 p.m. tonight. Um, or actually, I guess it's the opposite. I think sometimes he prefers to um, come late to things in the mornings, but he will just flat out be like, no, like I'm at my max. And what's cool about that is it gives other people permission to do that too. Yeah, to right? me, that's, I, I know people like that and it's inspiring. I'm like, damn, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Give so myself permission Urkan, to do that. Because he will give you permission to do it. <laughs> um, and honestly, what it means is that when Urkan shows up, He's, he's charged. Yeah. Yeah. He's present. He's charged. Um, and yeah, I don't think that, you know, the, his personal experience of the pandemic has been uh, too bad well, there either. I mean, maybe that's the thing that we'll take away from all this. That could be really good. If we can all find a way that when we get there, we are wherever we are, you know, with other people, it's not just like we're sitting in a meeting waiting for it to be over and we're there because somebody invited us and we don't even know what it's about, but maybe we'll be more intentional about the fact that we're together and not take it for granted anymore. And maybe go and we can be there and truly be there for one another. Definitely. And that said, as much as we've had all this conversation about, you know, introverts and staying home, I cannot wait for the next <laughs> Agile conference. It will be you fun. It'll be fun like, for summer I, camp to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's so many people that I miss. Chris Lee being one of them. Yeah. Um, that like, yeah, it's been, a, this is a long time for, you know. Yeah. A, a group of Agilists to be a part. A group of people um, whose entire profession is based on the idea that we're supposed to be in the room together. Right. Yeah. And whose social life sort of weaves between, you know, this conference and the next one. So yeah. I am. Very much looking forward to seeing lots and lots of people in measured amounts with naps in between. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go back to right before you took the job, this will be my last question, then I'll let you get back to your work. Go back to right before you took the job at the Scrum Alliance and give yourself one piece of advice. Just in case there's any organizations out there that are headed down this path, like what would you say to yourself to get the most out of that experience? Hmm. I'm not sure this would be applicable to other organizations, but maybe it will. Um, I would tell myself that you're going to be more frightened than you ever thought you could be. You're going to love bigger than you thought possible. And you're not going to regret a single second of it. Just jump. And just enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's, I think that's probably good advice for everybody for every, <laughs> every day. <laughs> or maybe when the pandemic ends, you'll be more scared than you ever thought possible. <laughs> yes. This was really great. Yeah. I, I I appreciate you taking time for this. And I appreciate you being so open about everything. This was a really fun conversation. And it's really nice for me to be able to talk about introvert stuff with another introvert. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, what if people want to reach out to you? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Twitter, 100%. Um, okay. You can find me on Twitter at Hummingbird Agility. 
It is spelled H-M-N-G-B-I-R-D Agility. All right. Apparently Hummingbird was too long for Twitter, so I lost all my vowels. Well, I'll make sure to include a link to it in the in the notes of the podcast. But this was really great, and thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. Good to talk to you. You too. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need, my-